you're listening to the We Are History podcast with me, Angela Barnes. And me, Angela Barnes. Oh, you've done it again, John Oh, keep doing that. Ah, that's only at the weekends. (laughs) (laughs) We are a uh, Lesson Series history podcast for people who uh, might know lots about history but want to hear a different angle on it or people who don't know anything about it and want to... I didn't study history at school. It's only as an adult, really. I sort of... That's great. Got interested in it. And Lifelong to learn learning. This is, and doing this podcast has been great because it means I've read... Oh, oh doorbell. <laughs> I just let in the Amazon bloody yeah, yeah, yeah. parcel. Yeah, I didn't really do history at school. So I think I did GCSE and they didn't continue. But as an adult, became interested. So actually doing this podcast is good because it's making me read about is, things like, I never I, would have known about. I feel like I'm in a, a book club with uh, one other person. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we just read lots of interesting history books and then just chat about it. Yeah. And we read the history books so you don't exactly. have to. And the money that's pouring in from this podcast. Oh, we are oh. sitting on gold chairs right pounds. now. Pounds. <laughs> pounds and pounds. Um, uh. But we, uh, we try and pick things that are a little bit um, less obvious. Yep. And... Uh, Tell us what we're doing today, Angela. Well, today um, we are going to be talking about, well, we're going to be talking about quite a lot of things, but we're talking, the, the title of the podcast today is Sons of Africa. Now, you may not know who the Sons of Africa I were. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, which I didn't either until um, recently. Um, the Sons so, of Africa were... Um, they were the Black Britons. Black Britons. Who fought In slavery. the 18th century, yeah. uh, who were campaigning against slavery yes now lots of people know about william wilberforce and the campaign against the slave trade yeah. but here these... in clapham we've come to clapham we've come to clapham we've which just to... happens to be where your house is john uh, here in clapham <laughs> we're in john's house but this is where it will uh, happen the clapham sect and william wilberforce lived off the common yeah um so my kids went to macaulay school that was named after one of the clapham sect and then right. their school was previously henry thornton school he was one of the clapham sects and this was the these are the people who fought Slavery, the white people yeah. who fought but in, slavery. Yeah, that's quite a, a hefty <laughs> point you brought up there, John. That yeah. We, certainly when I was at school, and I, I hope it's changing now, I assume it is, I don't have kids, but we were not taught any of this at school no. and any black history, really. Yeah. Um, and even what we, the little we were taught about slavery was very much from a white saviour's, yeah. you know, the... I knew who William Wilberforce was. I didn't yeah. know who Equiano was. So, 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 Angela and I are finally bringing this to public attention. Thank God for these two white people. <laughs> uh, white splaining racism to oh, all the black God. listeners. It's a very, it's this a minefield, is, this, isn't it? it, it well, it feels because <laughs> I don't want these podcasts to be all about white European history. history. Yeah, sure. But at the same time, we are two white people and now we're. Going to talk you, about you blacked up for this one, Angela. But... John, <laughs> God, this is going to be such hard work. Uh, <laughs> but I would say Sons of Africa was the first UK black political organisation. It was, um, yes. and it was. Uh, there were a group of educated Africans in London, former slaves mostly. Yep. Um, and uh, we thought it'd be interesting to talk about them as individuals and a little bit about what they did and learn a bit about the slave trade along the way. Absolutely. So, so I think it's worth sort of reinforcing, I suppose, that because of certainly people in my generation, the way we were taught, you sort of imagine there weren't black people in Britain before Windrush. I know, and I, I'm slightly think that plays to a racist agenda. When they when they big up the Windrush as this amazing beginning of multicultural Britain, mm. I think it sort of feeds that sort of 
ukippy nostalgia for wartime Britain, which is all white cockneys doing knees up with the Queen Mother in the Blitz. Yeah. Um, and actually, <laughs> we've always had black people in Britain. There were black yeah. soldiers at Hadrian's Wall in Roman times. Yep. Um, and, and not always is a bit careless. But Elizabeth's first time, there's a whole book called Black Tudors by yep. Miranda Kaufman. There were lots of um, black people in uh, Tudor England. It's interesting, when uh, one of the books I read was called Black England by uh, Gretchen Gerzina. And she went, she was looking to research this and the bookshop owner said to her, oh, there were no black people in Britain before, uh, until after the Second World War. And she knew that this wasn't yeah. true. But this is commonly uh, accepted as the sort of fact. Sort of people arrived in 1948 and there weren't any. Yeah. And that's, that's I think that feeds to a sort of um, slightly uh, Faragist agenda. Well, this sort of equation with Britishness being about whiteness. Yes, exactly. Um, right. When actually uh, yeah. black people have been... Yeah. In England for centuries. Yeah. So there was a lane, there was a road near where I grew up called Blackamoor Lane mm. in Maidenhead. And I never thought what Blackamoor Lane meant, but it would have meant there, would have, there was a black moor who lived down there. Yeah. And there was a pub in Hurley called the Black Boy. And I always thought that was yeah. a weird name for there's a pub a few, anyway. I've seen a few pubs called yeah. Black Boy. There's a Black Boy Lane somewhere yeah. where, but these and are these, all these were referred to centuries ago. Old, yeah. 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 But then, then by the time that Britain got really involved in the slave trade in the 18th century, um, Lots of um, people would bring their manservants back from the West Indies, uh, slaves, basically. They'd bring yeah. their slaves back to London. Uh, and so by the late 18th century, there were many thousands of black people uh, in Britain. Uh, Is it worth talking a little bit about the Atlantic slave yeah, trade? Yeah, well, I've got that written down here. So yeah, yeah. Bit of it began context. in the 16th century. The Portuguese, I believe, started yeah. the Atlantic but slave trade. But we did it better. Uh, we came along and told them how to do it right. Yeah. Um, no, well, um, so the first slave voyage was in 1526. Was it? Um, but we're we're concentrating a couple of centuries later, sort yeah. of the 1700s. It's a massive sort of industry, really. Uh, huge industry, and um, it was what was called a triangular trade. Yes. So ships from Europe would travel to Africa with uh, goods yeah. to trade. Yeah. Um. But the slave, the trade wasn't two way because we didn't have, we didn't have slaves. Well, we'll come to that later. Yeah, but, but, but we the, didn't have the need for slaves. We didn't have plantations here that yes. required slaves. Or the, it was for the slaves were all bound for the new world, really. Yeah, where so there West, were coffee so the, and tobacco and sugar, um, yeah. sugar and yeah. gold and silver mines and cotton plantations and things like that, which required labour. Yes. So the goods would go to Africa. They would be traded for slaves. The slaves would then go to the Americas, to the Americas both yeah. South America, West Indies, parts of North America, East yeah. Coast, where they would then be traded again for goods, which would then come back to Europe. And it was just uh, a very, very lucrative trade. Yeah. So uh, that was the triangular. Yeah. Yeah. And the terrible bit of that was the infamous middle crossing. Yeah. And that was where slaves, uh, often uh, quite young, you know, often kids, mm would be uh, ripped from their families in, you know, places like Nigeria, Ghana, West, uh, Coast, of West Coast of Africa, and crammed into slave ships, uh, you know, chained horizontally next to each other for this terrible crossing, which took two months. Yeah. So three million Africans were stolen from their families yeah. and um, uh, chained together like this, where they would, uh, obviously, there'd be terrible sickness, they were undernourished, there would be, there would be uh, diarrhea, they would, uh, they would have to sit in their And own, they wouldn't all survive. The, and many, many died. Yeah. And you were often chained next to a corpse for, for days on end if yeah. you were a slave. Um, they were allowed up for a little bit of exercise onto the decks in small groups. Mm -hmm. 
the ships had netting around the edge because so de so desperate was yeah. their was their was their state that many of them preferred suicide over the edge of the boat. But of course, uh, if uh, your captive slave, your cargo jumped into the water, that was your cargo. Yeah. And so they put netting over the boat to yeah. prevent that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this yeah. was uh, uh, Britain was uh, like the leading uh, force, and the, the wealth of cities like uh, uh, Liverpool, Bristol, Bristol, you know, even small cities like you know Falmouth or mm. um, uh, Dartmouth, they, all these had little ships going out of them, and they were uh, uh, fitted out uh, to pack uh, as many slaves on as they possibly could. Mm. Now we should say that it's not as simple as uh, white British people going into the uh, the bush of Africa and grabbing families. There was a complex network of African, African collaborators, collaborators. Yeah. Uh, selling prisoners of war. Mm -hmm. They didn't know what happened to these people once they sold them on. They just thought, right, we're getting money for capturing families, uh, yeah. kids. And they would sell them on to um, people on the coast. They'd get sold down a chain towards the coast. And But on the coast of places like Nigeria and Ghana and Gambia. That's where the European traders huge uh, settlements with forts, uh, with uh, um, bodies being, you know, forced onto these ships and then sold to uh, the, the, to, the, to the captains who would then sell them on in the West Indies. Owners yeah, or, yeah. yeah. Uh, so pretty grim stuff for a comedy uh, uh, history podcast. Yeah, I, I think um, it's worth saying at this point. Not going to be much of a comedy history no, podcast. No, no. <laughs> uh, but I think it's it's something that. That yeah, we do need to. No, I think people need. I think we need to know, know about, about it. it. Uh, we've, you know, um, but it was, uh, uh, you know, as you say, there, there was a, there was a slavery was a thing in the uh, West Indies in America. It wasn't seen as a thing in Britain, and their status if they came back, so the, you know, slaves weren't just working plantations. Sometimes they'd be house slaves, and yep. they would be manservants to British gentlemen. Yep. And if they wanted to come back to London, they might bring their manslave with them. Yeah. So, you know, by the late 18th century, there were many thousands of Brit black uh, uh, people. Who were still in, in servitude, who were yeah. still slaves. Well, so, yes, well, they were slaves. Although their status was sort of unclear in law. Mm. Uh, because we didn't sort of really have slavery in Britain, it came to a head when one slave ran away from his master when being badly beaten. And he encountered Granville Sharp, mm. who was... Uh, so this is the slave is James Somerset. Uh, James? Was that the very first? That might be the one. Yeah, okay, we'll talk about the Somerset case here. Oh, okay. I think I, I, I think that, that might have been. About. I think there might have been another guy who first came to attention of uh, Granville Sharp. Uh, um, but yeah, um, Granville Sharp became this campaigner against um, slavery in Britain. So he was a legal he, advocate. He, he was a legal advocate, white. Yeah. So we found the star of the film. Now we've <laughs> now we know who we're going to make the film. Producers oh, going now. We're the sound of Angela. Banging her head on the microphone, <laughs> and um, so yeah, uh, so so Granville uh, Sharp took up the cause of uh, uh, of this guy, and um, and later on, um, when this this man called Somerset, what was his first name? James. James. James Somerset, Somerset. When they tried to kidnap him and force him back to, so he he was owned by um, a customs officer called Charles Stewart, um, and Stewart brought. He was bought in Massachusetts, right? And when Stuart returned to England, he brought Somerset with him as yes. a manservant. Which yeah, you were saying so. They're in England. Um, this is in 1769, uh, but in 1771, Somerset escaped, right? And he was recaptured in November of that year. And um, Stuart had him imprisoned on a ship, which was bound for Jamaica. Yes, for him to be sold 
Yeah, well, for, to a plantation presumably yeah. when when he got there. Somerset had been baptized when he was in Britain, right. and he had three godparents, right. who were John Marlowe, Thomas Walkin, and Elizabeth Cade, and they made an application um, to the court uh, that year to determine whether his imprisonment was lawful. So, so he was imprisoned on force, a ship. Can you force a man in England against his will to leave the country yes. against his will? Yes. And so is he basically a, a, a chattel or is he a, a man? A man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> um, his advocates argued that while colonial laws permit slavery, the common law of England didn't. So Lord Mansfield, wasn't it? Who so ruled, this is it? Lord Mansfield um, who was residing. Um, presiding, not yeah. presiding. He might have been residing there as well. <laughs> he didn't live sleep. there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and essentially, the, so the Somerset's advocates were saying that if the existence of slavery isn't in law, therefore slavery must be unlawful. Yes. And that sort of legally challenged the assumption that Britishness and whiteness were inseparable. Because if mm. under British law, you were, you know, you, you were a free man and a black man was included, that made you sort of British. Made you British, right. And there were about 15,000 black people in Britain at that time, which is incredible. Yeah. In probably yeah. mostly, in, mostly in London, I this think. This is the 1770s. Yes. So, uh, um, and suddenly they were sort of legally free. But things didn't change them straight away, of course. They didn't all go, oh, I'm going down the pub, you know. Yeah, no, it wasn't free as <laughs> uh, we yeah. understand but, free. But in terms of the law, their status changed at yeah. that point. It should be said that there were lots of them. I mean, rather a nauseating thing about it was how fashionable it was to have a black man in your, mm. as a servant or a black child. So um, Gainsborough would, you know, have, uh, would, would, there's another guy we're going to mention later. Sancho was was painted by Gainsborough because it's sort of an interesting sort of contrast to the white person in the picture. So if you're a sort of Georgian lady, you might have a little black boy as one of your servants. It's your fashion accessory. It's your fashion accessory. It's sort of slightly sort of a, a Georgian ab fab, really. I want a little black boy, darling. Little, a little little black servant, darling. I mean, Catherine the Great came to London to get a little black servant. She thought that would look, you know, that would yeah. be quite trendy. Um, that's fairly nauseating, but this is the... You know, this is the world we're dealing with. The reason we chose about the sons of Africa mm. is because it was necessary, if you are uh, pursuing the slave trade, to dehumanize Africans, to say they're less than a man, to say they are a woman, to say they are um, uh, savages and not Christian and uh, being brought into Christendom, and that must be a good thing. So they could put that argument across. But if you've suddenly got an educated African man yes. describing his childhood, saying what happened to him uh, when he was uh, ripped from his family, uh, then that suddenly becomes very hard to argue against. Yeah, and that's what happened with uh, Olauda Equiano. Equiano is the most famous of them. Uh, yeah. He was. He That was his given name. His slave name he was given was Gustav Vassa. Yes, after some Swedish and ship or captain or some, something. Yeah, yeah, and he kept that name until he died. Yeah. Um, but he wrote a book about his experiences in, um, he wrote the book, I believe in the 1770s, 1780s. Yes. And, um, in 1789 he wrote it. Yeah. Um, and, it, and because it was, I mean, I think most of the time he was actually going around giving lectures and talks. So it's quite late yeah. in the campaign that uh, he, he wrote, wrote book. his book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but obviously he, so he was a slave who had eventually, and we'll talk about him more in the second half, but he yeah. eventually bought his freedom and therefore was in a position as an educated yeah. man uh, yeah. who had also been baptised into the Christian faith. Yeah. He was in a position um, to go and 
talk to people yes. about the experience of being enslaved Absolutely. and what was actually happening. So the Sons of Africa was really a, a sort of campaigning and corresponding society. So they would do a lot of letter writing. They would write to the papers. So when anyone, when anyone said, oh, you know, it's, they're, they're, they're transported in comfort. It's quite uh, civilised the way. And he would go, I was on that ship. <laughs> I know what it was like. Right I'm telling you right now what it was like. And though we tried to keep families together. You know, no, I was ripped from my sister family and then I was split from my sister. And just the, the brutality of slavery was... Uh, explained firsthand by uh, witnesses who are uh, uh, educated, cultivated, and, and Christian, quite importantly. Uh, they were all, I mean, Aquiano himself was very devout Christian. Mm. And, I, and of course, he had to be um, purer than pure for his um, well, arguments to hold any sway with, with, white, uh, with, with, with white people. Um, Should we take a little break? Let's take a little break John, and we'll and come we'll back talk about Aquiano after and, the break. And his writings. And we'll talk about, yeah, his book um, and... Um, We'll uh, we'll have a little break whilst John's servants make us tea before we put them in the little cupboard under the stairs. <laughs> oh dear. Welcome back to part two of We Are History on Sons of Africa. We are talking about Aquiano, the probably the most famous of the Sons of Africa. Yeah. Um, now we know the stories that he was telling around the lecture halls of London and England yes. uh, because he wrote it all down in a book. He did. He wrote a book. Uh, and like as you said before, he wrote this towards the end of his campaigning. So not yeah. long before he died, really. Yeah. Um, but he wrote a book called The Life of Oluada. Sorry, I'm uh, going to get that it's wrong. It's called the, again. the Life of Ol Oluada. Oluada? Oluwada, just well, say it quickly and you get away with it. Oluwada Equiano. Yeah, the interesting um, narrative of the life of... Or the interesting... Oh, that's right. The full title's not <laughs> yeah. on the copy I've got. But yeah, yeah the interesting mm -hmm. narrative of the... It's all right, mate. We'll be the judge of that. No. Um, <laughs> it's it's an incredibly powerful book It's a mis it's, it's a misery memoir. Well, it, yeah. It's the first, it's the first, the first misery memoir. Mis but it's yeah. so... Um, it, it's obviously he was taught English. English wasn't his first language. He was taught English. He was yeah. educated by relatives of his British well, masters. He was actually taught on the, on the by fellow sailors, I think. On, on, on when he well, was, he was yeah. also sent to his, I uh, think, his um, captain's in-laws at yes. one point, and was educated with their daughters. Yes. Um, but, and had various inputs in education. He was baptised at some point. So yes. baptised into the Christian faith, which he was very devout. St. Margaret's Church in Westminster. Yeah. Um, and, and he wrote this book. There's a, right in chapter one of his book, there's just a line that really, um, he says, and, and did I consider myself European? I might say my sufferings were great. But when I compare my lot with that of most of my countrymen, I regard myself as a particular favourite of heaven. So he... Although he was a slave on a slave ship and had mm. a rough time, he felt he had a much better time than a lot of. Because, well, for a start, he survived. And he, yeah. And and he, secondly, he was and, a manservant to a sea captain rather yeah. than working on the plantations yes, or, or yes. any of those other things where people, there's yeah. a high mortality rate. He, there's a, a sort of running thread through the book, which I found really interesting, is that he is constantly almost apologetic for his writings. Right. And, you know, in the context of that time, obviously he's a black man talking to white people about yes. his experience. So I suppose in order for that, he had to debase himself, but had to sort show of... Show enormous humility. Show humility yes. in order to get them to listen. And, yes. and he would say things like, there's a sentence here, um, 
If then the following narrative does not appear sufficiently interesting to engage general attention, let my motive be some excuse for its publication. Oh. And he was constantly apologising yeah. for writing the book yeah. throughout the book, which I found really interesting. Yes. And, but, and, it, and, and, but the story itself is just one human story, which is um, uh, very shocking. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, one human story out of three million. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so at the age of 11, he was taken, we think, from probably modern day Nigeria, possibly Benin. Yeah. From the edge of his village, he was captured, taken many miles away. Yeah. And There's then, a bit in his book about his capture. Yeah. He. What's really interesting, so the first part of his book describes in detail his life before capture in Africa. Yes. Which obviously a lot of white Europeans wouldn't have had any idea of what life in Africa was like in and, the 1700s. And they would have needed to believe it was very savage Absolutely. to justify the slave trade. To justify, the, yeah. yeah. So he's talking about, you know, the family structure, yeah. the um, the fact that, that men were allowed multiple wives. Yes, he doesn't, he doesn't shy away from things that he, would have been uh, frowned upon, like facial scarring facial and scarring, which would, you know, the, yeah. the sort of tribal yeah. um, things that were going. And slavery, so, and slavery, a slave system of their own. In, in, and a slave in, system of their yeah. own. And the fact is, as you said, there were African collaborators who yeah. were kidnapping the children. It yeah. wasn't the white... Um, uh, slave traders weren't going into no. Africa and ripping the children out. It yeah. was African collaborators. Yeah. Um, who, who but, were but Britain was responsible and the European powers were responsible for that economy. Yeah. So he was one of seven children. Mm -hmm. And there was one day him and his sister were guarding the house while the others had gone out to work. And uh, he said, and he tells the story that's interesting about a time when he wasn't kidnapped, but could have been. Yeah. Uh, he says, one day I was watching from the top of the tree in our yard. I saw one of these people come into the yard of our next door neighbor, but one to kidnap. There being many stout young people in it. Immediately on this, I gave the alarm of the rogue and he was surrounded by the stoutest of them who entangled him with cords so that he could not escape till some of the grown up people came and secured him. Wow. So that was an attempted kidnap yes. that he raised the alarm for. And he says, but alas, it was my fate to be thus attacked and to be carried off when none of the grown people were nigh. One day when all our people were gone out to their work as usual and only I and my sister were left to mind the house, two men and a woman got over our walls and in a moment seized us both. And without giving us time to cry out or make any resistance, they stopped our mouths and ran off with us into the nearest wood. Here they tied our hands and continued to carry us as far as they could till night came on when we reached a small house where the robbers halted for refreshment and spent the night. Wow. So they were um, so, taken from their home. So you can imagine how him woods. describing that, him in, in polite English society, in halls mm. and uh, uh, in churches, and the people having to listen to that and stop and think about it. And yeah. so much more power from someone who had that experience personally. Yeah. And how, what a weapon of propaganda that was for, for him to tell those stories. I remember the first, my own personal first sort of education about the slave trade was the TV series Roots, mm. which I think you're probably a bit too young to remember. A bit remember. too young. I didn't, I've never seen it, but, but I'm 70s, aware of it. Couldn't it have was like this big thing. I mean, I just have a very strong memory of being like 13 or 14 or something. And then there was this, uh, uh, that this whole, that a similar scene to that was portrayed in Africa, mm. uh, a boy kidnapped and, um, and Kunta Kinti being told that his name was now Toby. We had one black boy in our class. And of course, everyone bloody called him Kunta Kinti. Can oh. you believe it? <laughs> Poor kid. And, uh, yeah. um, but it made you think about it in a way that you hadn't done. And um, yeah. uh, hadn't, you know, a lot of white boys from Berkshire never stopped to think about the No, story. absolutely. But we when, were never taught yeah. this stuff I at mean, all. I mean, the one thing I will say about this period, and, and uh, uh, Gretchen Gernazina makes uh, a good point about this in, in her book, Black England. Um, you do have to understand that back then, 
everything was brutal. So yes. society in Britain was brutal. There was child labour for hours and upon end. There was yeah. uh, there were people who were hung from gibbets and left to rot in the street, as an example to others. Uh, everyone was diseased. They yeah, died it wasn't young. all roses. In... It wasn't all. It wasn't the white people weren't all plantation owners and the black um, people yeah. were slaves. It yeah. was an incredibly brutal time. Slavery was the most most brutal thing probably yeah. of that time. Absolutely. But, um, but the white working classes in Britain weren't yeah. having a no a, a great time of it. Yeah. So when my kids went to school in South London, there was um, they were talking about the slave trade. They were sort of made to feel like they were the plantation. The kids sort of presumed that the white people were all sort of cracking the whip, but yeah. they were there at the white people's ancestors were kids going up chimneys or working cotton mills till yeah. all hours of the day. So for people looking at society then, the slave trade was just one very brutal aspect and probably the most brutal aspect of a, In very, a very brutal, brutal society. society. Yeah. Um, so he was uh, ferried through Africa, yeah. across the river and eventually to where the European slave traders were on the west coast of Africa. And he was put on a ship for an Atlantic Crossing. And that was the brutal middle passage that we spoke about before, which was just inf infamously uh, horrific. So people and, were beaten, raped, murdered. A lot of rape, of course. We should yeah. mention that. The, the female slaves were, uh, I think, a Crano or maybe it was the other book, mm. talked about uh, dirty sailors lying upon them. And that yeah. was just part of the course if you're uh, a woman's slave. And, and you know, if they had children, they were born into slavery. Yes, even if they were uh, they're, they're, they're parents were the white slave owner yeah. they would be slaves and there's yeah. a, I mean the DNA of, of, of um, black Americans is about 20-30% white just because of, there was so much rape going on yeah um, and all let's just say this was all to get sugar and tobacco, tobacco so we could rot Europeans. our teeth and give lung cancer and <laughs> and most people in Britain didn't get richer as a result of this terrible no. uh, exploitation. It was just a very narrow band of um, upper class people who increased their wealth. And, you know, for the for the European ordinary peasant or factory worker, poverty remained. That's something yeah. I always think about when people are patriotic about imperialism. It's like, no, Britain wasn't better off. It was, you know, no, were, a, handful of, a handful were of Britons were better off. off. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Eventually, he reached Barbados. Yep. He was sold to a British sea lieutenant. Yep. And, um, uh, and, and then he, they, I mean, that was sort of lucky, wasn't it, really, that he was a Yeah, well, he considers he, that he was lucky compared yeah. to, you know, other slaves. Yeah, I mean, relative, he, sorry, yes. Relatively yeah, lucky. obviously relative, but, you know, being, say, uh, sold to a plantation yes. or somewhere with hard labour, whereas he was basically a manservant to yeah. a... And he, learned, and he, and he learned, learned a lot of sailing skills, which were in short supply in the Caribbean. They were yeah. desperately short of sailors. So. Yeah, absolutely. And and was, you know, got yeah. to learn from his fellow yeah. um, sort of sailors. Yeah, black um, and white. English yeah. and, and yeah. Uh, things that he wouldn't have learned on a plantation. And he sailed example. all over, didn't he? He did sail all over. He um, accompanied the sea captain in a battle, many battles during the Seven Year War. Yes. So the and Seven Year War... Happened during this period. 1757, no, 56 yeah, to 63. So it was, how long was it? So about seven, seven years, years, I think. Because he seven had years. learned arithmetic, Equiano. So that would have been useful because they would have gone, so how long to go, Yeah, about two and, years. How many how, 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 how years? How many have we got going? So, um, In his book, he yeah. recounts a lot of these naval I know, battles. carrying gunpowder. He was carrying gunpowder across... The, in the middle of a battle, his job was to run and fetch gunpowder. So he'd run across the deck carrying gunpowder whilst all these bombs were going off all around him. It's incredible that he survived, really. Health and safety back then, yeah. I have to say. It was, those, <laughs> it was early days. But he, so there are good first-hand accounts of those yeah, things. Yeah. So one of the um, sieges he took part in was the siege of Lewisburg, which effectively ended French colonialism in Atlantic Canada. Right. 
So Lewisburg is uh, what's now um, Cape Breton, right. Nova Scotia, that sort of area oh. um, of Canada. And they there was a it was French owned at that point, um, but the British and the British Americans yes. were fighting to colonize. And there was a naval blockade which he took part in, and a battle. And eventually, the British overcame. Very interestingly, my family who are from Newfoundland, yes. just up up the way a bit, yeah. Um, there's well, there's talk in our family that we have descendants from a, a Native American tribe called oh, yes? the Micmac, which Mi-Mac. was a North Mi-Mac. Canadian Someone's tribe. Mi-Mac. There, there's no, there's no. Uh, this is they... a whole other podcast episode yeah. we we'll do, but there's no Native Americans left in Newfoundland. I think you mentioned that. They, yeah, uh, entire gen- one of the only few entire genocides Incredible. that's ever happened. The Beartook people there. Wow. Um, but you got a biotic. bit of you got a bit of Native American in you, have you? But apparently I have. So right. and but the tribe that we apparently have a little bit of are the Mi'kmaq tribe who fought with the French. Yeah. Um okay. so they were Mi'kmaq militias so, who so fought with the French. It's one thing that people might might occur to people is when uh Europeans colonized North America and the West Indies, why didn't they just use the natives for slaves? And the, it's a good question. And the reason is they just died or ran off into the mm-hmm. uh, uh the bush and it, they, they all got smallpox and killed over yeah. but so it just didn't work having native america they no, tried it they it, did try that first and well, they were an, starved and yeah. defeated and because yeah. the way the europeans it just didn't colonize was to push native americans away yeah. from any sources of food or so they had to get all that trouble to bring africans across the atlantic yeah uh, exactly. in, a, in a very brutal way that is described in this uh book we probably don't need to go into every little detail of equiano's life no we, i just thought that was uh, interesting, yeah no that is interesting um, but he um yeah he sailed in the uh, he fought in the seven years war and he came back to london and he was um uh, he worked so hard and been so loyal to that captain, and all mm. his friends were saying, the white guys going, "He's gonna, you'll be free when you come back to London." Yeah, well, he assumed after He's, the Seven yeah, Year War was over that, that he would be, be freed. But then he was de- devastated to be betrayed by the captain, who he had thought was a friend, and he'd served him so loyally, and he was just sold yeah. uh, on the Thames, which yeah. shows you that even after Somerset, that the sale of human beings was still happening, still in happening in that period yeah. in, in London. It, yeah, yeah, and uh, then he was taken to uh, Montserrat. A uh, pretty uh, grim little um, uh, Caribbean island that I went to once. <laughs> I had a terrible time there. <laughs> oh, awful. <laughs> um, and then um, he went in search of the Northwest Passage. He was a very good um, entrepreneur and he would trade uh, gin and win money at gambling games on deck and uh, glassware he bought and sold it on. And he made enough money over the years to eventually buy his own freedom. Yeah, it took a period of about 10 years. From, from being captured to... From being to, captured yeah, to yeah, then. But yeah. he eventually bought... His own freedom. Yes. And from that point, campaigned. Well, he, uh, well, he worked on ships for some time uh, as a free man. Yeah. Uh, um, and but his status was always dangerous because it was very, you remember you remember the film 12 Years a Slave, you could be kidnapped and taken back. Absolutely. And, um, and even as a black free man, uh, he was still at one point, you know, he disagreed with a captain who was sailing the wrong way and he was hoisted up and left dangling and beaten. By his ankles. Just, just for disagreeing with the captain. Yeah. Uh, and he had a friend who was kidnapped and sold and he was powerless to prevent it, which was mm. a great sadness to him. Um, he did eventually settle yes. in Cambridgeshire, in Soham. Oh, oh did he? Okay, village, yeah. uh, where he married an English woman. That's right. And he brought out his misery memoir, as you as you say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, as you say. As I say. My publishers were always, they'd say, I'd say, what's selling well? Ms. Mem's doing well. Ms. Mem's Mem's. It's like, there were those books. Do you remember? There's a fashion too nice a life. Childhood it and all Childhood that. Childhood it. Uh, yeah. Please don't touch me there, Uncle Kenneth. You know, 
there was a whole fashion for them, wasn't there? It really was. And you could, they all had very similar covers. They did, they? didn't they? Yeah. Hand, yeah. Look, uh, fake handwriting kind but of But Equiano covers, invented yeah. the genre. Um, <laughs> and um, he published it himself with subscribers. And if you read the list of subscribers, it's sort of a who's who of the sort of progressive people of um, uh, 18th century England. Mm. Sort of an unbound of its day, I suppose. Um <laughs> And it was a bestseller. It's pump- it's, it was, um, his book was uh, reprinted in other languages and yeah. it really assisted the campaign for abolition because if you couldn't go to the meetings, you could read the book. Absolutely. Um, um, and got people engaged with yeah. the issue. Yeah. The, who were able to ignore it or just, you know, yeah. weren't engaged with it at all or, or saw it as something very abstract from them. And they had to Suddenly confront there it. was an eloquent man in yeah. London. Yeah. Talk so, to them about this stuff. So let's give a shout out to uh, a couple of the other Sons of Africa who we yes. know a little bit about still. There was uh, Otubar Kugwano, I suppose you'd say that. Yeah. Um, he was taken at the age of 13 from modern day Ghana. Ghana. And you read his book? You read. I have his book. I, ha- I, didn't, I haven't got all the way through it, unfortunately, yet. Thoughts his book, which has a catchy title, John. It's called Thoughts and Sentiments on the Evil and Wicked Traffic of the Slavery and Commerce of the Human Species, comma, humbly submitted to the inhabitants of Great Britain by Otubar Kugwano. Right, uh, um, so Otterbar, we like the book. We think the title isn't snappy enough. <laughs> if you could just... A, could just make a snappier title, yes. But that was sent to George III and the Prince of Wales. It was, again, a devout Christian man. Yeah. Um, very devout. Grano uh, talking about his experiences and, um, again, a, a very popular yeah. book. There was... Um, and he, and yeah, he criticised the religious and pro, secular um, pro-slavery arguments of the day and... and uh, the only thing about him, this guy, is that he um, he called for the abolition of all slavery. Great, mm-hmm. but then said the uh, um, the slave owners should be enslaved by their former slaves. Right. It's like also we accept. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah you've gone too far now, mate. Yeah. You're, you're not going to. I don't you're, know. You're, I'm with him. I'm, I'm, well, it's like how's that going to work? Right. So, okay, you two. Everyone swap places now. Yeah. No, yeah. And change I mean, that's the other thing we should say. They were campaigning for the end of the slave trade. These people yeah. because the abolition of slavery was such a ambitious mm. uh, thing to even try for. I mean, Granville Sharp wanted to campaign for the abolition of slavery and they're all going, you're not going to get that, mate. Let's win the one abolition. One step of the, at a time. The, one step at a time. Let's win the abolition of the slave trade. Uh, so the um, the famous organisation was the, the, the Wilberforce and uh, Granville Sharp. That's, that launched in 1787. Yeah. It's quite late. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, they were you know, working in tandem with the Sons of Africa and um, people like, uh, Kuguano and the other guy was um, Ignatius Sancho who was uh, born on a slave ship so right. born during the passage but his mother died uh, his father died and um, he was adopted by the gentry of uh, Greenwich and he was painted by Gainsborough and there's a little plaque in uh, King Charles Street Westminster where he ended up having a grocery shop uh, but he wrote plays and his letters were published um, and his you know these guys writing their letters was a great part of their campaigning uh, so being literate, of course, was a very powerful tool. I remember that. And talk about roots. I remember uh, there's a scene in that where one of the uh, black slave children showed her, his father that he'd learned to do a write ABC with a stick in the ground, and the father beat him to the ground. Yeah. And said, "If you ever, if you're ever caught learning to read and write, you know that's you'll be flogged. That's yeah. the worst thing you can do: be literate." Yeah, because frightened. for a yeah. plantation owner, yeah. the last thing they want is a yeah literate slave. Yeah, and so that so slaves were were denied literacy. They also denied the right to become Christian. They, that was mm. uh, because they didn't want them. It made them, you know, too sympathetic. They yeah, legitimised yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but these educated, we should say, these educated and literate uh, black.
black slaves were the exception. Most were in poverty because there's a lot of runaways and yep. they lived in parts, there were parts of London where black people gathered together who'd run away. Um, and they were forced to beg sometimes. Yep. And bizarrely in Georgian society, the sight of a black beggar was such a sort of novelty that uh, they did better than the white beggars. So some of the white beggars blacked up. Really? <laughs> yeah, to, to go. To... Yeah, there's accounts of them wow. blacking up to try and um, to, to because they it's saw. It's like in, in certain parts of the India subcontinent where beggars will, you know, get more money the more disabled they are, or the more. Yeah, exactly. You know, I suppose the more. Yeah. Yeah, so to pretend tend to be disabled. That you yeah, seem or yeah. Whatever, it just but... caught the eye. You needed a gimmick, you know. So, yeah. Um, wow. So, um, but the Sons of Africa were, were interested in educating the black poor. And so they set about, uh, that was part of their work as well. Yeah. Um, a, bit, a big, I would just say something quickly about the Zong, Zong massacre. massacre. 1781 so, I've got here. Yeah. So this the Zong was a ship. Yes. Um, which, which, is, which was completely crammed to the rummels with uh, slaves. Um, yeah. Way too many, not enough water. And with them uh, uh, having lost their uh, uh, route a little bit where they started to run out of water. So the, if they had died, naturally, the slaves on board, they would not have got any insurance. No, no. So they they decided. Well, the, the argument is that they ran out of drinking water right. on the ship. There were 18, I believe, sailors on the ship. And then we know there were 130 slaves thrown overboard uh, and basically for an insurance claim. Yeah, so the insurance wouldn't have paid out if they died of natural causes. Yeah, of thirst, you know, or whatever. Of thirst, or yeah. But if you if you uh, have to uh, throw your cargo overboard to save the rest of your cargo, that was the law, insurance law. Yeah. Um, they um, they would pay out. Yeah, so there were 130 slaves with, were were murdered in this way, and Equiano brought this to the attention of Ramble Sharp, yeah. and he tried to have the captain tried for murder. And I think this uh, had shift, helped shift opinion at the time. Yeah. And the, the formation of the Society for the Affecting the Abolition of the Slave Trade was created in 1787. Well, originally, originally it was, I believe, the ship owners who went to court because the insurance wouldn't That's pay right. out. That's right, yeah. Um, so they originally took them to court to try and get the insurers to pay yeah. out. Um, and then Granville Sharp... Yeah. Uh, got involved and tried to have the captain tried for murder. But, I mean, it was an incredibly ambitious thing to set up this campaign, mm. you know, to ab abolish slave trade. Britain was so dependent on it. I mean, this, uh, um, it's a fascinating question, but I wonder if, you know, as the economic dependency increased on slavery, did racism increase at, you know, did people start to justify and need to start to believe I, in the inferiority of uh, a really uh, interesting Africans. sort of dissertation, yeah, that, it would, it? because... Yeah. I it mean, didn't suit the economic needs of the country to accept that black people were people yeah. who, you know, had the same needs, wants, desires as everybody else. Because I know that Elizabeth first wanted to get rid of the black Tudors, um, yeah. but I wonder if people became, as as the economy became more dependent on on a racist on yeah, slave uh, slavery, yeah. then 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 they had to sort of start to convince themselves of the inferiority of the, of the black person. Yeah. I, there's probably a study to be written about that. I'm sure somebody else would know about that. But yeah. incredibly, only a year after the creation of the um, society, uh, they managed to get the um, Slave Act passed in 1788. Yeah. Uh, which I think you know because of the Zong massacre that was a factor. And it became a law that limited the number of slaves you yeah, could so cram it wasn't onto. An abolition. A... It was no, no, not at, at all. That point in 1788, it was about how many slaves you could carry yeah, in, and the conditions yeah. you carried them in. So there were plenty of, uh, uh, most people, you know, in the houses of parliament were in favour of the slave trade mm -hmm. and the uh, Economist magazine said, we don't abolish slave trade, we just need reform, you know, and this was right, the, yeah. they were just sort of uh, nibbling around the edges. 
but incredibly, in, in, in only 20 years, um, the slave trade was abolished in 1807. Yep. Uh, I think that uh, Equiano hadn't lived long enough to see no, he that. He died in the late 1700s. And I think I maybe. 1790 it, something. And maybe Cuguano as well, I think, didn't live to see it. Mm. But Granville Sharp, I think, did. He fell to his knees and thanked the Lord. Uh, um, it was uh, banned in 1807. I think uh, we were the first major European power to do it. it was, yeah, uh, so when it was the British participation in the slave trade was abolished yes. in 1807. That was when the Conservatives were out of power very briefly and the um, the Whigs uh, brought this through. It's always the same. Tories all the time were um, <laughs> opposed to the banning of the slave trade. But just a small group of campaigners, black and white, managed to shift public opinion over those two decades. Uh and then when Britain won the Napoleonic Wars, it compelled France and Spain to seize the slave trade. Yeah. And so finally in 1833, all slavery was banned throughout the British Empire. Yep. All racism ended then. And uh, everyone agreed that racism was a bad we'll thing. All get on famously now. All get on and everyone's, uh, everyone's very progressive. It's interesting... So 2007 was the bicentenary of the uh, yes abolition big deal around here in Clapham. Angela. Big deal in Clapham, yeah. yeah. But the um, at that point, uh, Equiano's life yes uh, was added to the national curriculum. Yes, she had never been in the national yes. curriculum before, together with William Wilberforce. Uh, but in 2012, I won't say we won't we won't talk about who was in government by 2012. <laughs> Uh, but that was then dropped again from the curriculum right. um, because they were going Did, back in favour of a back to basics. Oh, which is back to so back for to the that dam, short dam period busters. of time. Yeah, Criano did make it into the national curriculum, but he's been removed again. again. It's the same bloody party that yeah. resisted the abolition of the slave trade, resisted votes for women. Yeah, I'm not going to get all political, anywhere, but but <laughs> they would have been going. Oh, it's political correctness gone mad. You can't even kidnap a family of black children and sell them in the West Indies. I mean, it's PC gone Long mad. Man. So that's basically what their position would have been back then. And uh, um, there is, it should be said, there is still slavery in the world today Absolutely. in many forms. Um, and uh, there are still campaigns against that slavery. Yeah. Uh, but it shows you the darkness of the human soul that Absolutely. such terrible things can be and done there's on loads such a scale. Of re I mean, it, it was so hard to sort of do a short podcast on... Yeah. The slave trade, and that's where we focused on the sons of Africa and, and Britain. But there's yeah. so much reading to do. But do Equiano's book, it's surprisingly yeah. sort of easy to read. And, and just, yeah, it, to read that first-hand account yes. written at that period. Yes, just if, even incredible. if you only read the early stuff about when he was uh, uh, captured and uh, taken across the Atlantic, it's very powerful. Or you, if you want to read a book about him, I read An African's Life by James Walvin, which, which sort of uh, puts it all in a context. There has been some controversy about uh, some scholars which has now, I think, largely been discredited. But some scholars in the late 90s uh, had a theory that he wasn't actually born in Africa at all. Well, he did. there's a couple of points where he says he's born in America. In, so he gets, in Carolina, yeah. South Carolina. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I think that's been mostly discredited. And, and right. uh, there are records that show yes. um, that he did that passage. I also looked at Black and British by David Olusoga. And Black England by Gretchen Gertzina. Mm. Uh, it's Black a, Tudors, didn't we? As well. Black Tudors, but yes, uh, by Kaufman. Uh, that was it's a it's a huge subject, loads yeah. to read, yeah. uh, and um, you know if we got something wrong, do let us know. Yeah, uh, sure um, you will. Um, yeah, maybe we'll uh, revisit some small parts of, of this the this, the, this epic story. Yeah. Uh, and um, 
We'll uh, if you enjoy the podcast, give us uh, give us uh, give us a few stars. Give us a few stars. Tell your friends on iTunes. Uh, iTunes. That helps us get the thing is if you give us a five star rating, it helps us get into their listings. You see, yeah, and then other people can find us that might yeah. want to find us. Um, um, so if, if you could do that, that would be great. And uh, we'll, tweet us on at We Are History Pod. Yeah, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank and, you very uh, much. Stay safe out there. <laughs> What's that? No, no. That's the end Keep of Crime Watch. The end. the end of Crime Watch. <laughs> yeah. Keep it peeled. Keep it peeled. <laughs>